1: What do you got for me? What's wrong? With you? I got nothing for you. What's wrong? What's, what's wrong? How you? What's wrong? How you? You're not dating. How y'all feel this morning? What's wrong? I, I feel rotten. I That's how I feel. I
0: That was enough for me. We could have had the benediction right there. That was so good. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to The Reformatory, the podcast for the local church and by the local church. And uh, normally, we would be your local churchmen, but we are down one today. And Jack is taking some well-deserved rest with his lovely lady, and they are on vacation. He's going to be gone for quite a few weeks um, because apparently he can afford to do that. I don't know how. I don't know... In what universe, you can take more than a week off for work, but apparently Jack's got that cushy job, so we're going to let him have it and be happy about it. But that being the way it is, uh, we are really, really uh, excited and blessed to have some pretty heavy hitters coming in to take the reins from Jack, uh, to fill in for him and join me on the podcast. And today is absolutely no exception. Uh, we have a really, really special guest today to talk about some some awesome stuff that we're gonna get into. Mr. Sam Renahan. Sam, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Oh, look and, hey, man. we've been we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Glad we can finally do it. I get to rub it in Jack's face that uh, you know it took him leaving for me to finally be able to have a conversation with you. Take that, um, Jack. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? I don't care. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. We're going to have a good time anyway. So Sam... Um I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, have heard your name before, either conferences or read some of your books. Uh, Some of our listeners might not have, so can I throw it over to you real quick before we kind of hop into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about? Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about what you do. Tell us about uh, your your specific local church. What you love about it? Just just kind of kind of give us the picture of Sam uh, before before we hop in.
1: Sure, I'd love to do that. So I live in Southern California. Uh, in the Los Angeles area, and I minister at Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Mirada. You may know La Mirada because Biola University is here in La Mirada, about half a mile or a mile, less than a mile from my house, so I could just walk there. Um, It's it's right here in our town. We're on the, the very southern border of LA County at the north of Orange County, so 15 minutes from Disneyland, and you know, 25 minutes from the beach, which is, which is a great place to live. You know, people come here for vacation, but we Uh, we just live here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, which do you
0: like better? Are you more a frequenter of Disneyland or the beach?
1: Well, Disneyland exceeded my economic tier some time ago, <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't been there in some years, although i I do have a very i have great love for Disneyland, yeah uh, and many fond memories of having been there before. but there uh, I get to the beach much more easily than I get to Disneyland, so there we go.
0: there we yeah. go. There we go. No, no, that's all right. That's right. Hey, at least the beach is free, right? It's a, it's a fun place you can go for free.
1: Yes, it is. It's wonderful. We just had our youth beach camp, which went really well, That I was excited about that. So at our, at our church, um, we don't really use the title senior pastor, but I guess essentially I would be senior pastor. I preach every Lord's day in, um, in Spanish and in English. And um, I'm one of, the, one of the pastors who does visitations and counseling and everything along with the others and leading worship services. And that's the majority of my time. You know, that's, that's my work. That's my job is to pastor this church and care for the flock and, and preach to them and teach, teach in the church. Uh, when I have some extra time, which is usually nighttime more than anything, I do like to research and write. So some people are familiar with some of my books on covenant theology or Baptist history. Or theology proper, doctrine of God. Recently, on Christ's descent. Whatever, um, whatever I think might be useful or that I'm interested in. Those are the things that I research and write about. And uh, Baptist history is really occupying most of my available time of research and writing these days. But it's, it's very slow. I don't I haven't <laughs> had much time to work on those things lately.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Preaching full time. And counseling visitations that 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 takes up a lot of the day, but that's that's real good work. That's Absolutely. Good work. So, quick quick question, because I didn't know. So, when you you said you you speak once in uh, English and once in Spanish, are you bilingual, or are you going through a translator?
1: No, that's that's bilingual. My bachelor's degree okay. was Spanish literature and culture. Okay. Um, so I preach the same sermon. I preach it in Spanish first, and then I preach it in English afterwards, and I lead the Spanish. I'm in charge. I should just say I'm in charge of our Spanish ministry. Okay. So I lead all the worship services every Sunday, and I preach every Sunday. And then after that, I preach the same sermon in English. Um, so, so, yeah, it's not through a translator or anything. I've, I've had the opportunity to travel to um, Colombia and to Argentina and Cuba and Mexico and other places to, to teach and preach and I've, my books have been published in Spanish. I did some of the translation or I revised the translations. So I'm, I've, yeah, the Lord's really blessed, blessed me with that opportunity to speak to English and Spanish people in our area because we have so many of both. It's, it's really sure. a great blessing.
0: That That's fantastic, man. I didn't know that about you. And I think, you know, so in, in the preparation, right. Cause I'm kind of a pulpit thug, meaning if, you know, i Preach at churches that that need a, a guy that Sunday, right? Okay, that's so, what
1: a pulpit thug is. That's what a
0: pulpit thug is. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I've kind of coined the term, uh, and it gets a lot of reactions. But basically, I don't have a home. I just go around, and uh, nice. you know, if a pastor needs a sabbatical or something like that, I'm usually you know filling in for them. Got it. So, so I know the ins and outs of what it takes to prepare a sermon, obviously in English because I'm not bilingual. Is that preparation the same in Spanish? Do you have the same set of notes and you're just translating it in your head? Or do you have to basically do one set of notes in English, one set of notes in Spanish? Or are you doing it simultaneously? Like, what does your prep look like on a on a weekly basis?
1: Yeah. So what I do is I just, I get into a trance and then, no, I just do <laughs> I used to, I used to preach
0: flows out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I used to preach two different series and two different sermons every Sunday. And so I would do a full Spanish manuscript and a full English manuscript. That's what I used to do. Okay. But about I don't I don't know, a year, two years ago, I stopped doing that and I combined it into one series. So I preach the same sermon, the same series. And now what I do is I prepare a full English manuscript as usual. And then I prepare in Spanish, um, just a Spanish outline with all of the, the biblical verses in Spanish. So I just have the outline and the, okay. the Bible verses in Spanish with my English manuscript there. That way I just preach from the English manuscript and live translated into Spanish, yeah. but I have important things like my outline. I don't have to come up with like, what's the best way to do this outline yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, moment man. that's already okay. done. So the okay. things that would trip me up, or trying to remember a certain verse in Spanish correctly. You know, I don't want to like live translate the Bible. That probably wouldn't go well. Um, so the important <laughs> you've things tried. Yeah. like the outline and the the Bible verses, and occasionally f- a few vocabulary words I'll look up ahead of time, yeah. but everything else I just preach from the English manuscript and live translated into Spanish.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And that
1: simplifies okay. my workload quite a bit.
0: Well, yeah, no, I can imagine so. I can't imagine. I mean, I mean, I can, but preaching so bad... <laughs> Before you decided to to do what I I think is the obvious, but apparently I'm just I'm just lazy and combine everything into into one series. You'd be preaching in Romans, you know, one one you know one hour, and then in in Philippians, you know, in Spanish, and you'd be having to juggle basically two sermons in one week.
1: Yeah, that's what I was doing for many years. Man, I'm not doing it that way anymore.
0: (laughs) That's, uh, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, that's impressive though. I gotta say like preparing one sermons enough for me. Having to figure out how to prepare two is definitely a, de- definitely a challenge. Mm. Um, so Sam qu- quick, before we hop into our topic, man, what is one of the, what is one of the primary things about your specific local church Trinity there that you, that you absolutely love?
1: Ooh, I, can I pick more than one? Of course you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll go to two. I won't <laughs> take advantage of your kindness. I'll just say two. Um, one thing is that, you know, being a young minister, I've always appreciated having a plurality of elders who are all older than me. Yeah. Um, all, I think, I think they're all careful now. Yeah. uh Oh. <laughs> anyway, let's just stop there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was gonna Start t- over. Don't get They're in trouble here. They're all older than me. <laughs> They're all older and wiser than yep. me. Right. That's where we. That's all we got to say.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, some were there for the Jurassic age. Some were yeah. there for the Cretaceous age. And I just can't keep that straight.
0: It's like the layers of stone. It's like, okay, now which elder is
1: this? <laughs> which fossil? No. Um. In in all seriousness, uh, being at a church with a plurality of elders and being at a church with elders who are my elders, um, yeah. has been Been a huge blessing, and one that I appreciate and and don't take lightly or take for granted. So that's one thing. Okay. Uh, The other thing is just how um, I don't know if self-motivated is the right word, but just how freely uh, our members uh, spend time with each other and serve one another. Mm. You know, you don't have to like micromanage community things. If if there's ladies' events or men's events or church events. They just they're just there, they just want to be there, yeah. And our church yeah. is very spread out over the Southern California region, and people drive very far distances just because they want to, mm. you know, they're not being manipulated. Like, and if you're not there, I don't that's know, right.
0: Like, that's right, that's right. We're taking talent. You got the guy up front with a notebook, like checking, like looking at looking at buds and yeah. seats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, thankfully, it's not like that at all. We have a very willing, a very free. Um, church who mm-hmm. gladly shows up to be with each other. They like being around each other. That's a good Christian community and they serve yeah. one another, you know, with meals or uh, rides, all the typical kinds of things. Yeah. It, again, you don't have to like, Not for, you would never have to force people, but you don't have to like, I don't know, they just do it freely. And that's such mm-hmm. a blessing to see Christians love each other um, in, in the community of the church so freely. I, I just really, I, I admire it. Yeah. And I appreciate it so much as a as a pastor when the sheep just love each other. I mean, that's just yeah. it's a beautiful thing.
0: Amen to that, man. Yeah. I can't think of anything more encouraging for a pastor. And when I was when I was in that role, it, it, seeing seeing the body do what the body's supposed to do without without coercion, without without yeah. guilt, right? Without without trying to, you know, dangle a carrot. You just mm-hmm. see like the love of Christ is flowing through these people and the unity that comes from that is just incredible to behold, right? And you can step back and be like, "Lord, uh, I didn't do this." <laughs> this oh, one hundred percent. This is completely you, and thank you for it, right? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. What a what what a blessing, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, we're gonna hop into our topic, Sam, and. Something. The reason I wanted you on this one is because I was at, um, a couple years ago, back when they actually had them, uh, I was at the Doc and Devo conference that you spoke at on Covenant Theology. It was really, really great. In fact, I was the guy that Joe Thorne called out from the front for out being outside with Travel, smoking a cigar. <laughs> I don't think it was during your set, though. I want to be clear. I was. I think I skipped out on mm. Joe's, and that's probably mm. why he was upset.
1: <laughs> I see. I see. Okay
0: that's right and that's right but anyway so um, have we met them uh, you know what? i think we met in passing like it was it was it was probably just a conference handshake okay. which honestly i don't even remember if we did so i'm, I'm gonna count this as the official face-to-face even though we've <laughs> interacted on twitter for quite a while all right cool um but 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 during that i i really something something that i took away from that conference was, you know, listening to you speak, hearing you, um, um, kind of expound on the word was the love. And, and I believe the, the correct place that you hold confessionalism in the life of the believer, right? If we're going to be good Reformed Baptists, good Reformed Christians, you know, part of that, a massive part of that is actually being confessional, right? It's part of the historical definition. That's something we appreciate here on this podcast. It's something that we encourage churches to embrace, to look into. Um, And something that I wanted to talk to you about, Sam, was why would you say a, ch- a local church embracing confessionalism, why would you say that that is a good and an important thing to do, especially kind of in light of the culture that we live in, not only the worldly culture, but also the, the, uh, and I'll use air quotes, the quote unquote, you know, Christian culture that that we see kind of mm-hmm. just, just, you know, being tossed to and fro. Um, why is a local church and confessionalism such an important combination? Why would you, Why would you say that? I'm going to throw that over to you and we'll see where the convo goes.
1: Yeah, there's really two things in my mind. I think we can sum it up in in two ways that confessionalism or using a confession of faith in a local church, it it does two things. It connects us and it protects us. I think Mm -hmm. those are two good words for summing up um, confessionalism and its benefits. It connects us and it protects us. So it connects us. Uh, first of all, as a local church, you know you have all the all the members, all the people of a local church are now connected in a common confession, a common embracing of the truth, a common expression of the truth. This is what we believe. Mm. Uh, in First John chapter one, John talks about how. The apostles had a certain experience with Jesus and they communicated that to other people and other people believed that same message. And then John says that there is a complete joy when Christians are united in the same truth, Mm, Uh, what they have heard and seen and, and touched They've communicated to you, you've believed that, and and together we believe it. We have communion with God and with one another, and there's a complete joy that comes from a unity in truth. And so, confessions of faith connect us in that unity of truth as a local church. They also connect us, confessions of faith connect us to the Christian tradition, because confessions of faith, uh, at least the ones in my mind, they are typically... Edited, they're usually put together as a a compiling of previous Christian statements. Uh, Christians have been saying this. Uh, Christians have confessed this. Christians have have expressed the truth in these words. And so, a confession of faith doesn't just connect us to local Christians right now. It also confess uh, connects us to the history of Christians, the tradition that uh, handing over of Christian truth and so we can say okay our our believing forefathers believed these things they said these same words we are following in their footsteps they interpreted the scriptures this way they understood the scriptures to say these things so it connects us to the history of the church or the Christian tradition And then it also, a confession of faith connects us to other local churches. So we can, for example, our church has a a local association of, of churches. We are one of 11 in our local region, and they hold to the same things because we have in common the same confession of faith. So it connects us to them. There are many other churches in our area uh, true churches, but we are more connected with the ones who have the same confession with us. And so that mm-hmm. that document, that confession provides an objective external um, document in which we can find unity in the truth. So it, it's mm-hmm. connecting us as a local church, mm-hmm. it's connecting us to the Christian tradition, and it's connecting us to other local churches for, for communion between churches, which is a wonderful and beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. I really liked... What you talked about when it when when speaking about the the confession being something that will help protect a local church, and I really think that's applicable in the culture that we live in today, and I think it's really ap- applicable just with with the the not only the broader evangelical culture but just as as we see a a world that is moving farther and farther away from scripture and farther and farther away from the truths that 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 are our standard. Uh, we as the church find it more and more difficult in many ways to to live uh, harmoniously, if you will, <laughs> in the culture that we live in, right? And, and I think something that we see as a consequence of that, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is how we begin to see the standards that... Ministers use or members use or whole local churches use to define how they will conduct themselves as a church we see that moving farther and farther away from scripture and the essential truths thereof and more and more catering to either either you know culture for one reason or another uh the personal vision casting of the 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 senior pastor mm-hmm. you can fill the gap in right but having a confession having a a standard um, that, that points to the essential truths of scripture, I can see how that is such a, it's such an anchor for yeah. the local church, right? And it, and it's such a, it's such a shield to be able to point back to, obviously, obviously it's not supplanting scriptures, the authority, no good Reformed Baptist is going to say that, but it's pointing, it's, it's a, it's a, It's an explanation. It's something we can go back to and say, is this consistent with our confession? Because we hold that a confession is consistent with scripture, right? And it gives us the ability to even further uh, filter through the things that we are dealing with in this culture through the lens of what we believe to be a right explanation of the truth.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it protects us from a variety of things, and you've mentioned some of them, Um, maybe to, to bring it to... A sharper focus, you know, it protects us from a, a pastor's peculiarities. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the one of the criticisms, and I think a very valid criticism of just Protestantism, is the anarchy of people interpreting Scripture by themselves uh, or on their own.
0: Yeah.
1: And when you put, if you put an individual like that into a pastoral position, and there's no confession of faith, it really becomes that church becomes his own
0: mm-hmm.
1: little. Um, Catholic Church, his, you know, he's the Pope, and the Church believes what he believes. Mm. And as is as his beliefs change, maybe or sway, or maybe they're just straight up wrong. It yeah. really is man centered. Um, yeah. It's really pastor centered, yeah. and no Church of Jesus Christ should be man centered or pastor centered. Uh, pastors are under shepherds. We're ministers. Uh, we're, we're nothing. We we just feed the sheep what Jesus is giving to them. So. Right. Right. A confession of faith means this isn't pastor so-and-so's church. This is the church that believes certain things and our pastor teaches according to that standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's accountable to it because we all believe this. Right. Um, and so similarly, it protects the members or it protects the members from themselves and from each other too, where someone starts to spread certain ideas who will say whether those ideas or those um, truths or they suppose them to be truths, who will say if those things are acceptable or not? Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't be saying that, brother. You shouldn't be saying that, sister. Well, who, who's to say? Why? Uh, a confession of faith will establish a, a standard for the members themselves of, this this is not acceptable. This, destro- <clears throat> this destroys or this overturns what we hold in common, what this church believes and is committed to. So, it's not just the pastor's peculiarities, but also members' Perhaps it's just protecting them from their own ignorance or foolishness. Maybe they just didn't sure. know. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and now this is a guide to them. It's helpful to them. And then similar to that, a confession of faith, because it's it's objective, it's not pastor so-and-so's, like you said, vision, vision casting. Right. It's not some particular member's sort of agenda. It means that if there was a member or a group of members who did have an agenda, a doctrinal agenda in the church, supposing you have a constitution that that defines how the confession works and supposing you have a confession of faith it means that those people can't do anything you know like legally that is according to the church's laws without first changing the constitution and then changing the confession right. which if if a church can accomplish that according to its own rules okay they're allowed to do that mm-hmm. but it means that it's it's setting up all of these not necessarily barriers, but maybe guardrails. bumps, guardrails. Yeah, guardrails mm-hmm. to say, you know, let's be careful. Let's not be run by a, a, a pastor's opinions, a person's opinions, or even a group's agenda in the church. Um, confessions and, and a, of course, a good constitution are necessary protections. Against this kind of thing. Well, did they guarantee that you won't have those problems? No, it just means when you face those problems, you'll have a a process or at least something there that's objective. It's not, again, so and so versus the pastor. Um, It's our common confession that protects us in the, and helps us in these areas.
0: Absolutely, man. I could yeah, that's that that's fantastic. And I think I think something else that came to my mind while you were saying that is the importance of importance of having something that has roots. Right? I think we see so much in churches today kind of the need to be new and catchy and viral, right? And the old and tradition is kind of seen as, you know, let's let's move away from that in order to, you know, uh, in order to accomplish whatever it is your mission is, right? And it's it's usually, usually, maybe not always, but usually just to get more people into the building, right? Having a confession, like there is something so vital about knowing the truths that we believe in the confession that we have has been handed down to us for generations. There are generations and generations and generations of Christians that have confessed these same truths. Mm-hmm. And we, through this, I mean, ultimately through the blood of Christ and through Scripture, but through this confession, we are linked to those people through history. Right. And we just—we have so much to look back on and to draw from, so much wisdom to draw from. Yeah instead of falling into the trap that I think a lot of guys fall into and trying to recreate the wheel when you don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. This wheel is great. It works. Fantastic. You don't <laughs> it need goes to go around. <laughs> it does. It moves, right? What more do you want? Right. Sure. But we try to make square wheels and triangle wheels and just, you know, something new, something edgy, something catchy and flashy. Mm-hmm. And I think there has there, there, I think the, the connection, and the the love of being connected to something historically deep has kind of been lost because of that, right? And when I when yeah. that's that's one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about the importance of a confession is look at look at all the people that you are united with that mm-hmm. have confessed these same things before you. I just I, I think that's super super encouraging as it as, is, as a yes. Christian. I agree. You know, um, so. Real quick, before before we hop into the next question, what would you say? Because I'm sure you've run into these folks as I have. Um, what would you say to the individuals that wave the reject tradition flag, the no creed but Christ uh, things things of that sort? What would you What would you say to those uh, to those particular uh, those particular people?
1: Just ever so briefly. So many other people have pointed out that everyone has a creed. Mm. If you just ask them, well, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Whatever they tell you, if you write that down, that's now their creed. That is their confession of faith. Right. And so, a a confession, as we're talking about one, it's just open and public. Uh, it's not private or or secret. It's open and public. And a Christian confession of the truth should be open in public. Right. So if they say no creed but the Bible, even if, you know, people have pointed out that's a creed. Like that's yes. a, a doctrinal yes. statement. That's <laughs> no a creed but Christ statement. is
0: a creed in and of yeah. itself.
1: <laughs> so it's a self defeating position. And then the the other thing that I would say to them is that you know if they're very anti sort of tradition, I would tell them, you know. The, Jesus promise promises us in his covenant with us that he will give us his spirit uh, and that he will cause us to know the truth and the spirit will lead us into all truth. He will he, They shall all know me. Mm-hmm. And so, we will know God and he will lead us into the truth. This is not a promise of infallibility in sure. the church, but it is a promise of true knowledge of God in the church. Now, that promise in that covenant, the new covenant has been true and has been active in all history where the new covenant has been saving sins. And so you should never look at a time in history of the church and say, well, they didn't know God truly and God was not leading them into all truth. You know, so if your church history just cuts out massive portions of the history of Christ's church, Mm -hmm. you're basically saying his covenant wasn't active then. Uh, His spirit wasn't doing anything. Yeah. So, we should read tradition, of course, in comparison with or subject to, subordinate to scripture, mm-hmm. but we should expect that because his promises are true, we should expect there is wisdom in the history of the church, there is true knowledge of God in the history of the church, and so we shouldn't be surprised when we find that, and it is yeah. indeed there. So, our, our appreciation of tradition is an appreciation of the work of the Spirit in ages past, you know, what if the ages past said that about our age? What What is it about our age that makes the things we believe like so pure and and true? Right. You know, that's what they call, you know, chronological snobbery. Like, well, because sure. we believe it now, it must be like purely true. We, we must not be deceived or mistaken. Right. Well, they thought that in their age. You yes, know? absolutely. Like, <laughs> there's no golden age. There's no perfect time. Like, well, they had everything right at this point. Uh, yeah. And so we just read. Uh, we read carefully and we compare it with scripture and we find a great deal of wisdom there and confessions of faith are a part of, are are especially wise in my opinion, because they represent usually the collective and cooperative wisdom of many Christians, not just one person's book, which may be very wise, but many Christians saying the same things together. So they're they're to be appreciated and valued, um, Especially for those reasons,
0: yeah, could not have said it better, man. Yeah, and and I mean that I, I literally couldn't have. <laughs> I don't ex- I don't have the skill. Um, so as we as we think about the importance of confessionalism, and we you know we've talked about you know ch- why it's important for churches to embrace it to 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 make it part of who they are, part of their constitution, right? Part of the makeup of the church, right? Say we have a listener right now. Maybe they're a pastor. Maybe they're a member. Maybe maybe they're you know they're affiliated with their local church somehow, and they're th- hearing this and they want to be. Like, you know, I'm convinced this is something that I want to do. This is something that I I think is important, uh, and I want to start bringing in to the context of my specific local church confessionalism, right? What would be some advice that you would have for that specific local church? Maybe some do's and don'ts, some things to do, some things to look out for um, as they are seeking to integrate confessionalism, a confessional structure into their local church. What would you say to that?
1: So I wrote down seven things, uh, Sweet. as advice you be more
0: prepared than me. You can't do that. Hold on. You can't do that, Sam. You get like, like if I'm
1: ad libbing, <laughs> you got to ad lib. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll forget the things I wrote down. Um, so they're just, they're brief. It's not seven paragraphs. It's just seven. No, I,
0: I'm giving you a hard time. Yeah. Um,
1: I get, I get very nervous when I ad lib. And so I have to prepare like, I You're need to know what we're going to talk about. I need to prepare because I just I don't do well off off of uh, my notes. So.
0: I am the same way when people call for like counseling stuff. And, like I'm like no 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 no, you need to tell me like what is it that we're going to be talking about before <laughs> I hop into the situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel you.
1: Yeah. So, advice for people who uh, want to embrace a more robust or complete confessionalism. Like we said, they already have a a confession or creed of some kind at their church. Like the church is teaching something according to some standard, even if it's just whatever the pastor thinks at that moment. So the first thing is to be patient. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something like this takes time and you want to be patient in a way that, that keeps the church as united as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to rush in a way that might lose people. You want to be patient and persuade people with the goodness of the thing, persuade them with the the goodness of what you're proposing, as opposed to sort of shaming them into it or or strong arming them. Well, this is the way it's done. This is the way we should do it. This is how, you know, but rather look at the benefits, look at the blessings. This is a good thing. It's kind of like saying we have a group of people here. We need to take them over, you know, over this mountain to the other side. Um, not all of us can climb at the same rate. And so we need to go at a speed where we can all stay together and get there together. Mm. So you want to get to the confessional side together. That takes patience because some people may be so ready to just hop over the mountain. In fact, sure. to them, it may not even be a mountain. <laughs> they're they're be, convinced. They're like, I've been here for years. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it, it may be very easy for them. Uh, sure. and they need to be patient with the people who perhaps have, have, um, misconceptions in their mind, et cetera. So, patience is a necessity. Yeah. The, the second thing, and I, I just want to reiterate, patience for the sake of, of unity. Mm. The, the second thing is don't come to a confession and say, well, we're going to choose this confession, and but we'll just confess it insofar as it represents God's word be patient to the point that you can choose a confession where you say, we confess this not in so far as it is God's word, but because we believe this confession faithfully represents the word of God Mm -hmm. uh, in these expressions. If you do in so far, it's not like that's a sin or something. It just means you basically have a confession within a confession. Like, well, how far is in so far? There's a lot of, there's a lot of little asterisks,
0: right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so I, ideally, you want to have a confession where the whole church says, We believe these things, and this is what we believe, not yeah. in so far, but because uh, it is uh, faithful to the word of God. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later. N- number three is as you're looking at a confession, you want your confession to be the fundamentals of the faith, mm-hmm. not every last exhaustive detail, but the fundamentals. Now, that raises another question. Well, what are the fundamentals? And, you know, I can't answer that for you. Um, I would say that the 1689 Confession contains the fundamentals, but yeah. it, it does also contain things that are less fundamental in it. And sure. that it does. But so you want to prioritize and say, well, we need to draw the lines of orthodoxy and heresy with our, with our confession, you know? And so the fundamentals are certainly need to be in there. And you would look at the history of the Christian church to say, well, what has the church considered fundamental, et cetera? But, but when I say you stick to the fundamentals, I mean, you don't pick out pet issues or really like minutiae as your confession, because not only could it create disunity in the local body, it's just not necessary um, to, to do that. And it, makes it, it just makes it harder. <laughs> yep. uh, it, it makes it more difficult. So st- stick to the fundamentals. And where you draw those lines is a matter of wisdom and judgment that's not easy, but it, it's at least the path you have to try to follow. The fourth thing we actually—you already said—don't uh, write your own. Don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Um, right. At at best, you would adapt a confession and say, "Well, we—for example—if someone said we really like the 1689, but there's some paragraphs or, or certain things in it that we honestly just don't believe." Mm-hmm. It would be probably best for those people either to eliminate those things and say we confess this confession, or to confess it with with very clear exceptions up front. Like we confess this, but we do not confess this or that or the other thing. Um, but if you if you reinvent the wheel and write your own, it's just it's going to be unnecessary. It's going to be a lot of work, um, and it's just not a good idea. Um, let's see. The fifth thing is I suggest I would advise that as a church, um, moves towards confessionalism to have a different standard of subscription for officers and members. Um, other that churches,
0: fa- I'm sorry to interrupt. That is a fantastic point.
1: And other churches yeah. may strongly disagree.
0: Yes, it's true. It's true. I am, I am all in on this. Keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking for myself and and others may say, I don't think that's wise, but I believe it is wise to have a distinct standard for officers and members. I believe that the officers should be held to full subscription to whatever the church's confession is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they have, and the constitution should, should stipulate things like if they can no longer hold it, they need, they have an obligation to make that known, et cetera. There's accountability, the strongest accountability for those who have been called to teach the church. Yeah. Yep. And then I believe there should be a separate standard of subscription for the members of the church who will not have the same level of understanding, uh, and there's not the same level of accountability because they're not teaching, um, usually. And so, it it allows you to have a degree of, of flexibility. And so, our, our church constitution, you know, makes it clear that there's... Um, I don't know what's the best way to put it. It just makes it clear that we don't expect the members to all have the same knowledge and understanding and, but they also commit not to oppose the confession, right? You know, they may not agree with every point of it, but they are not to militate against it and such things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that flexibility of different standards for officers and members is important or useful. Sorry. The sixth thing is as you choose a confession, this is kind of related to not reinventing the wheel. One of your priorities should be, we want to choose something that connects us to the history of the church. Like that should be a a priority, something that's important. We don't want to choose something that's new or just us. We want to connect with the history of the Christian church. And so there are many confessions that, that do this. Um, and that, that should just be a priority. And then seventhly and lastly, you should think, you should strive to choose a confession that will connect you with other churches. You, you ask yourself, if we adopt this confession, will it isolate us? Will it be we are the church that believes this <laughs> and no one else? Uh, or will it unite us with other churches? Um, is this confession going to isolate us or will this confession connect us to other churches? That should be a concern too. Uh Connecting with other churches is sometimes a matter of providence and convenience. Well, there's no one else around us, you know, like, okay, maybe practically speaking, it's just a null point, but it should at least be a part of the thinking process of, can we, through this confession, connect with other local churches near or far? Um, That's, you know, sort of lower on the list of, of necessity, but it certainly should be a priority. For, for a church that's striving to get there so that when they get over that so-called mountain and they arrive at the land of confessionalism they realize, hey, there's other people here too right There's other right. churches here who have made the same journey and we can we can be stronger amongst ourselves and stronger with those churches in communion with them, which would could be a local association. it could be a, a national association. it could be formal or informal or whatever, but it you're at least connected and you have other Christians to help you and to help them as we all you know carry on in this caravan towards the the celestial city
0: absolutely man and i think that speaks to i think that speaks to one of the main and one of the most vital aspects of confessionalism is that it provides a level of a of of accountability that i think other structures don't mm-hmm. right uh, not only for the members but for also for the leaders and for the local church as a whole because i think a lot of a lot of guys uh, perhaps coming into in reform theology or confessionalism and we, and let's be honest we were all there and 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 there's times that we all slip back into it you can get a little feisty right and and and, and perhaps begin to view reform theology or confessionalism as a very exclusive club mm-hmm. right that that uh, i'm going to hold this because it makes me different right and yeah. and it, it kind of sets me up on this on this hill but what I hear you advocating for, which I think is the correct thing to advocate for, is: look, if you're going to embrace confessionalism, which I think you should, not only personally but also as a corporate body, it actually sets those guardrails even firmer into the ground, mm-hmm. and it actually gives you even more accountability than perhaps you had, yeah. uh, because now you are held not only to h- an historical confession, but you're held you're held to each other. Right. And it's, and, and, and like you mentioned previously, if the pastor starts going off the rails, starts trying to take, you know, some sort of off ramp somewhere, or Mm -hmm. you have a, you have a member or a group of members, there's that accountability there. Right. And you aren't just this exclusive club that that's just kind of making their own rules. It's like, no, 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 no. We all, we all agreed. We all agreed. This is, this is the road that, that we're driving on. Mm -hmm. If you want to get off. Okay. Let's have that conversation. But you're not dragging the rest of us in the bus with you. Right. <laughs> you know? And so confessionalism should, I think if it's done correctly or, or, or te- you know, being done correctly, confessionalism should result in greater accountability, not less. Amen. Right? I agree. Yeah. Sam, I love it, man. I wish we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this, uh, but we, we just reveal how... Even you know, we would realize how massive nerds we are, uh, and, and people might get bored. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> hey, 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 nerds for life, man. That's right. Um, Sam, before before we get going, um, I have a few random questions for you. I know that you said uh, that that when you when you uh, when you have to ad lib, it makes you nervous. So oh, I'm already I, nervous.
1: <laughs> so, so what am
0: I going to do? I'm going to make you ad lib. <laughs> These are uh, these are these are just random random hot take questions that I'm going to throw at you. You can answer them however you want. You can say pass. You can do what, literally whatever you want with these questions. But I want our listeners to get to know the real Sam Rennahan, mm. not the Sam of the books, not the conference Sam, not the bilingual Sam, the real Sam, the Sam wow. on Friday night. I didn't know those tired. other things weren't the real Sam. <laughs> oh yeah, hold on, yeah, yeah, maybe I need maybe I need to back that up a little bit. Sam, at this moment, my friend, what is either a band or a musical artist that you're really
1: into? Mm.
0: Unless you hate music, which I think would make you a pretty bad Reformed Baptist. That's just me.
1: No, um, (laughs) I've long been a a metalhead. I just talked about that recently with Joe Thorne. But more, me too. More recently, I've been adding to my musical enjoyments um, synthwave music. Oh, uh, which I really enjoy. So there's a, a YouTube account called Cause Music, like K-O-S. And this guy did a really, really good cover of the Top Gun intro. And nice. he did a, a really, really good cover of um, the Miami Vice theme. There you go. Uh, and then he recently put out like, a, I don't know, it's like 20, 25 minute sort of mini album of just 80s horror synth. Uh, and it's it's really good. So I've been vibing lately with some sort of nostalgic 80s synth music
0: i love that dude okay well so this wasn't on my list but i gotta ask as a fellow metalhead, man what what genres do you like to dip your toe into what do you like
1: i've long been a fan of folk metal and melodic death metal those are those are my lanes i don't really care for most of the other ones um, but those two I, I really enjoy. And and Scandinavian. Pretty much all my favorite bands are Scandinavian. I've never yep. got into the the American scene or yeah. a lot of those yeah. things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I am I am very Norwegian. So I have a quite quite the connection with the Scandinavian metal. Yeah. I love it to pieces, man. I love it. That's awesome. All right, Sam. What is <laughs> you being you being quite the bookworm? This is gonna be What is the worst book you've ever read?
1: Oh man the worst. And
0: I want you to name names. I want to know what it is.
1: Are we talking <laughs> theology?
0: It can be literally whatever you want. I am, I'm opening it up. Like when you oh, think man. that book was awful, like what's something that comes to your head?
1: A book that I just do not understand why it's so popular is Jane Eyre. Man. Really? It makes, oh, you just it,
0: made so many people mad. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Uh, the ladies in my life get all upset whenever I say that I, I, I won't say why I think it's terrible, but I just, I do, I hated reading that book and I don't know why people love it so much.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Besides war and diplomacy, how would you say countries should settle their disputes? If you could, if you could take war out of the picture, diplomacy out of the picture, you're just like, okay, you want this,
1: you want this, this is what you got to do. I mean, probably Super Smash Brothers.
0: Dude, that is an amazing answer.
1: <laughs> either that or Mario Kart, one or the other. <laughs> we will settle this on Mushroom Gorge. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: I like, love it. That's awesome. That
1: seems. I mean, does that count as war though? Maybe oh, Mario 100%. Kart is the least war. Well,
0: well, I mean, I mean, it's either so, so, so it's separate from war and diplomacy. So, so, like, it could be, it could be arm wrestling, it could be tug of war, it could be, it could be a game of thumb wrestling, and whoever wins. I guess we're going with you, you know, and I think Super Smash Bros. would be a yeah. Fantastic I'm gonna have to stick play. with Super
1: Smash Bros. That's 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 gonna be my final answer. I love it. I love it.
0: Well, Sam, we basically just just did this, although you did prep. But what's one topic you could talk on for 20 minutes with zero prep whatsoever?
1: Mm, covenant theology would be one. Uh, Baptist history would be another. Uh, I guess certain doctrine of God issues. Those 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 are the ones I've invested most study in. Okay. But uh, Bunhill Fields in, in London or the Petty France Church, those have been my specific historical interests that I've gotcha. invested a lot of time in. So I love talking about those things. Don't get there me started.
0: Go. Oh, no, 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 no. I won't. We will move on quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what is, uh, what's one thing that people are missing out on because they don't know about it? I would per, like. I would personally say Scandinavian heavy metal. Just yeah, me I was gonna say like yeah.
1: everything I'm interested in: yeah. <laughs> synthwave, uh, Scandinavian melodic death metal, and folk metal. No, yeah. uh, silent films. Definitely Silent Films.
0: Silent Films?
1: Yes. I really, really love Silent Films. And I think that other people could really enjoy them if they had the patience for them uh, and an appreciation for them. And just real quick, one of the reasons, I have many reasons why, but one of the reasons is that when people read a book... Um, they each person develops their own sort of relationship with that book because their own imagination supplies the visuals and it supplies the voices. Sure, sure. In silent films, it's, it's very similar, where you have all the visuals, but your imagination still supplies the voices and the inflection and all kinds of things of the characters. And so it, it really engages you in a, in a very personal way that other films you just sit there and and, you know watch captain marvel and and captain america do amazing things which that's fine that's fun but silent films sort of draw you in like a book if you're willing to give them the time just like you have to give a book the time and be patient with it so also in silent films if you give yourself and are patient with the medium itself it really draws you in, and it's it's a wonderful storytelling, and also because of the limitation of the medium, it forces the movie makers and the actors to do certain things that will draw you in, um, or else it would be boring. So it's it's just very unique. You know, people think it's like modern movies, but, but worse, and it's really its own thing. <laughs> it's its own. Like I like movies, why take the sound away? I like sure. movies, why take the color away? Yeah. But it, it you can't equate them. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and silent films are really, really wonderful.
0: That's odd, dude. You are a man of eclectic tastes. I like this. I like this. All right, Sam. Um, so I don't know you mentioned captain america so you were at least aware of the comic book genre of film right are you more yes. of a marvel guy or a dc guy or are you on the spectrum that says i don't know i don't care i don't get into him
1: um i i really enjoyed the whole marvel arc up to end game like Same. that that whole arc was really well done uh, and i enjoyed it but i really like batman you know, Dude, um, me too.
0: Sam, how have we not talked
1: before? I this? don't like Superman. I don't really care about Spider-Man. Yeah. Like but uh Superman,
0: um, Superman's pretentious.
1: And I liked the new The Batman, you know? I really liked it. I thought it was great. It was
0: I I, I have described it as the Godfather meets Batman.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen The Godfather, actually. Oh, oh, Which is well, like a crime okay. against humanity, I guess. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah. Jane Aaron, you haven't seen The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, right, so yeah, I'm not like DC versus Marvel. I've seen way more Marvel, but I really really like Batman.
0: Sure. I mean, there there just is more Marvel. At least at least, at least if you're talking live action, film, sure, right? sure. Um yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. I'm I'm a Batman guy all the way. So, all right, we've talked about we've talked about the the music that we do like. Mm-hmm. Sam, what would you say for you personally is the worst genre of music?
1: Mm. I intentionally listened to almost everything on the radio just to, I don't know, be in touch with what's out there. It's and
0: like Luther flogging himself. Like, ex- Yeah, I guess so.
1: I guess so. And I try to appreciate something in every genre, but mm-hmm. one thing I really just can't connect with is like progressive jazz. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You know, like classic sort of classic jazz that, is pretty straightforward. I mean, jazz is the poetry of music. It just doesn't follow the rules, and that's what makes it beautiful. But you read some poetry and you're like, this is so. That, that's
0: bad poetry.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's bad poetry because. And they're like, well, no, it's really good because it, it's just so crazy and weird. And you're like, no, that's just bad no, poetry. No, that's so bad, also, and you
0: should feel bad for liking yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so also
1: with jazz, like, I know the people are brilliant and there's no way I could ever play an instrument to the proficiency. And like, they know what they're doing. It's all intentional, but I just can't connect with it. And it, it bothers me. Like it, it hurts my mind. Like, what are you doing? Stop. You know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess like, progressive jazz. There
0: There is something about, there is something to being too smart,
1: right. And yeah, being probably. too
0: intellectual to where you are, you're, you're actually unattainable. Like, you reached, you reached a, a plateau that, that I can't even really appreciate because I don't mm-hmm. even know how to begin to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Sam. What do you resent paying for the most?
1: So, this one time a couple of years ago, I went to a, a nice steakhouse for an anniversary dinner. All right. And, you know, the... The steak's not cheap but you're there for a special occasion sure of course and then <laughs> after they brought us the steak didn't have any sauce sauce with it and i'm not talking like worcestershire sauce or something like sure. that, some heretical thing like that I'm uh i was like could we have some Bernays sauce to go oh, with this look at you and they were like um yes th- but that'll be like four dollars more i'm like uh, what i just <laughs>
0: I just, I just paid,
1: paid $80 for the steak and you're, you you can not give and me, you're going to upcharge me for sauce. Like <laughs> that really bugged me. It made me feel like, am I not at a nice place? You know, like <laughs> well, what? Here, here, we, here we are back at the progressive
0: jazz. It's just so much that you, you, you lose the ability to appreciate it.
1: <laughs> it really, really bothered me way more than it should have. I'm sure. But it, which it seemed like an insult to ask someone to come to a nice place and then to like upcharge them for a sauce that is a very traditional, very classic sauce that would go with a steak, and you didn't serve any at all. So I don't know, it just, Sam's I still like, have not forgiven them. <laughs> He's going through the receipt
0: with his wife that night, like they charge us for the ice cubes. Do you see this? <laughs> There's five ice cubes and they charge me for them. Uh, all right, Sam, <clears throat> what, is, what is one of your favorite scenes of of any film
1: I'm sure I would change my mind and just pick a different one any other time but I'll say there's a there's a silent film called um, the Big parade and it's about World War one and there's a, the movie has a very strong a slow but strong crescendo into the the gore of war mm. and there's a scene where a soldier is on the battlefield in France and the the pits From all the the shelling from the artillery and uh he's he's with his his two dead friends that came to fight with him and he just cries out in in desperation um and just like the the sadness and the the ingloriousness of true war and the the despair and the darkness of of battle is just so powerfully presented in that moment as the whole movie has led you to that point and as it reaches that point and the it's just um it's a really really powerful movie in a really powerful moment
0: man people y- y'all gonna have to start getting into silent films and sam, sam's making me want to dive into that genre <laughs> a lot here all right sam if uh if you were a pro wrestler what would your walk-in song be
1: Maybe Immigrant Song. Oh, uh, dude, yes. <laughs> that one's great. But Thor Ragnarok Sad. stole it. Everyone oh, will think, well, you just watched Thor Ragnarok. It's like, <laughs> no, that was all. I already, like, already no, liked that I song. was a
0: Led Zeppelin fan before it was cool. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. So you just have to believe me on that one. Uh, yeah. And then, if not that one, maybe like Kissing the Shadows by Children of Bodom.
0: Oh, dude, that's a deep cut, but a good cut. Yeah, well done. Well. But done. don't hate me
1: for liking that band. That was nah. me in high school. Oh, hey, hey, we all have
0: our guilty pleasures that we liked in high school. <laughs>
1: right? It's just a good song.
0: It's just a good song, man. It is. Absolutely. All right, Sam, if you could close one fast food chain, which one would you close? I'll close so many right now.
1: I'm closing Taco Bell for sure.
0: Taco. You're not a Taco Bell guy.
1: Okay. It's it's evil
0: and, okay. and disgusting. <laughs> I don't like what it does to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no one should go there, and they should feel bad if they do.
0: <laughs> oh, you Baja Blast Jane Eyre loving people, get out of here! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Sam. Last and final question: Whether or not you are a karaoke guy, if you were forced to do karaoke. What song would you pick?
1: Definitely not a karaoke guy. Let's just be clear about that. You know, it's just a fun song. Is "Living on a Prayer"? Oh, dude, um, yes. There you go. Well, I'll, I'll pick Classic. that one.
0: Classic karaoke song. Classic. I love it. Sam, you've run the gauntlet, my friend. You've done very well. I think (laughs) people have gotten a a, a peek into Sam, the man Ranahan, Um, and, uh, and you know what? I like what I see. I like what I (laughs) see. We're going to have to talk more about, uh, music and stuff like that, man. I did not know we had so much in common about that. That's really neat. Before we close out, Sam, uh, if people want to interact with you or, or maybe not so much that if, if, if you don't want that, but maybe find some of the books and resources that you have created. Um, I don't know if you have any projects in the works that, that you got coming out. Uh, I'd just like to kind of roll out the red carpet for you. Tell us where we can find your stuff. Tell us about anything upcoming we should be looking for. Um,
1: go. Sure. Um, if all my books are on Amazon. So if you just search my name in Amazon, you'll see you'll see my books there. I am at Petty underscore France on Twitter. You can find me there. Uh, and the only thing I'm working on, my writing goal for this year is just finishing part two of my history of the Petit France church in London. That's a part of London. There was a particular Baptist church there in Petty France. And I've been doing a lot of primary search, re- research and writing on that church. So I'm just trying to finish part two, not the most popular of, of subjects, but I really enjoy it. So yeah, if you want to find me, Amazon is great. Uh, Twitter is great. And Sermon Audio, I guess you could, you could listen to Spanish sermons. <laughs> hey, there you go.
0: Start learning Spanish and uh, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe listen to his sermons while you're watching the silent movie. Look at mm. that! You get some crazy, some crazy cross contamination there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we really appreciate having Sam on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You know what you can do? You can head on over to all the socials at Reformatory Pod, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're there. If you feel like supporting the podcast, we'd really appreciate it uh, for less than uh, five dollars a month. I used to say less than uh, a gallon of gas a month, but now that we're actually under five dollars, I can't really say that. Are you guys under five yet? in Cali no, we're You're still not? over five oh, Sam I'm so sorry all right well for less than a, a gallon of gas where Sam's at you could become a patreon supporter and have your name hallowed and Jack's not here to repeat it but hallowed <laughs> through the halls of the podcast uh we appreciate the likes and the reviews appreciate you guys interacting with us Sam thank you so much for being on the podcast with us brother really appreciated uh and it really enjoyed talking with you my man
1: thanks Josh it was a pleasure
0: Right on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will catch you on the next episode of The Reformatory.